Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series, God's Providence, again this week with a message titled, God's Providence for His Glory and Our Good. So join us as we open our Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. I was recently listening to Canadian singer and songwriter Garnett Rogers. It was a beautiful ballad and a love song called Summer Lightning. It's about a man taking a road trip and his senses are alive to the splendors of the natural world and he's simultaneously thinking about his sweetheart at home. And he marvels at both the wonders of the world around him and the wonders of the woman he loves. And then in poetic form, Rogers sings about the brevity of life and how brief the moments of joy and beauty actually are. He sings, we are brief as summer lightning. We are swift as swallows flights. We are sparks that spiral upwards in the darkness in the night. We are frost upon our windows. We won't pass this way again. In the end, dear, only love remains. Well, he had my attention. I mean, it was a beautiful ballad, but how can love remain, I wanted to ask the singer. I mean, how can love remain if we pass away as swift as a swallow's flight or as spectacular as summer lightning, which is amazing as it is, but it's soon gone. How about singer-songwriter Rogers was not done? On he sings, he sang, like a harvest moon that hangs over the valley, I see the hills shine in its silvery light. It's the same old moon that shines upon you. It will light my way till I'm by your side. Well, it was a nice thought. And then, filled with wonder, he sings, who scattered these diamonds through the vault of heaven? Who drew the curve in the magpie's wings? Who shaped your face? What made you love me? Where is the spark of every living thing? Ah, I thought, now he's getting somewhere. And then amazingly, Rogers sings, well, I guess I don't know, and I don't care either. He goes on to sing that all he cares about is that she loves him. And here in the melody of a beautiful song, I just wanted to scream, yes, you do know, but you don't want to deal with it. You're content to love a woman for a moment, a moment that's, that's there, and then as the frost disappears from the windshield, when the sun rises, you and that woman are gone, and in the end, your love will not remain but the one who drew the curve in the magpie's wings and the one who held your life in his hands. This one, the one you say you don't care to know, in the end, he and not your love remains. What, what utter folly to sing this way, I thought. Of course, Rogers was singing in a way that's become quite common. We live in a world that breathes out the grandeur of its creator in everything, from the lightning that flashes on those hot summer nights to the love that's shared between a man and a woman, and yet, as Romans 1 says, and just like this singer-songwriter sang, the fallen sons of Adam willfully suppress the knowledge of their Creator. Now, I share this because we've been talking about the providence of God, that God not only created all things, but that by His will, all things at each moment are held together and sustained by Him. That is, this is a glorious truth behind the doctrine of God's providence. Everything that exists, exists by his permission and his ordination. And furthermore, he has infused purpose in everything. Nothing that exists is just random or meaningless or chance or purposeless. All exists for God. Now, we said that because as Psalm 115 verse 3 taught us, our God is in the heavens. He does all that pleases him. And out of his pleasure, he has sustained all things with his powerful hands. And as we have seen, this wonderful truth perplexes us as well. Let me get back to Garnett Rogers. 
I don't care who created these things, he sings, and in a beautiful ballad that celebrates his denial of God, find it fascinating that God sustains him. God sustains him as he sings his denials at every breath and with every musical note as he denies his creator. At the same time, his creator is ordaining that he continue on. How can that be? How can God sustain that which rebels against him? You know, the theological alternative to the doctrine of providence is that God does not sustain things moment by moment. Now, this is the view that I've called partial deism. And this is the view that God is the creator and that he does intervene into the creation as when he does miracles. But apart from that, the universe functions according to the laws that God put into place. Unless God deliberately intervenes, as he does in a miracle, well, unless that happens, the world just runs along according to the natural and physical laws. You know, for a great many people, this solution, that is that God has nothing to do with the people who deny him or the evil that happens in the world, as as well as a host of other things, I mean, that solution is an acceptable one to them. It exonerates God of evil, at least so they think. He isn't responsible for so much of what happens. He created a perfect world. We sin, we brought harm to it, and now, sure, something is wrong with the way in which the universe functions, but the universe functions according to natural laws. Clearly, we need God to help us, but clearly, he's not responsible for a world gone amok. I've heard a great many people, when something goes horribly wrong, say, well, God had nothing to do with that. And so, in this way of thinking, it is believed that people deny God, but God has nothing to do with that. You know, in this system, the universe continues to function according to the laws of nature and according to the free will that God gives people. But when bad things happen, God has nothing to do with it. I mean, that's how many of us believe. But as we've seen, that's not the view of Scripture. Whether it's God sustaining all things moment by moment, or Joseph telling his brothers in Genesis 50 verse 20 that they intended it for evil, but God intended it for good or Joab on the battlefield, believing that the outcome is in God's hands and not in his, the Bible says that God sustains all things. That is, all that happens, happens because he wills that it should. And we've been going over the impressive body of Scripture that shows us exactly that. Everything from God hardening Pharaoh's heart, to Samson marrying a Philistine woman, for this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion against the Philistines to an evil spirit from the Lord tormenting Saul, to Isaiah the prophet telling King Sennacherib of Assyria that it was God who caused him to turn fortified cities into heaps of ruin, and so on. We have in this series argued for the view that's found in Amos 3 verse 6. Does evil befall a city unless the Lord has done it? Or Jesus' words in Matthew 10 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. So there you have the doctrine of providence. God, not nature, controls the lifespan of every single sparrow, and and God, not nature, determines whether good or bad befall a city. That's providence. Or let me give you three examples from 2 Chronicles. In chapter 10, Rehoboam becomes king. His father was Solomon, and early on, Rehoboam makes some key mistakes that lead to catastrophe. Listen to Second Chronicles 10, verse 15. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by God. 
that the Lord might fulfill his word. And then several chapters later in 2 Chronicles 18, verse 22, Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit into the mouths of your prophets. And then again, later in 2 Chronicles 25, verse 20, But Amaziah would not listen, for it was of God, in order that he might give them into the hand of their enemies, because they had sought the gods of Edom. I mean, over and over again, we see God meticulously involved in mistakes, in inattention, in seeking false signs, and in the false pride of kings. But if it is that all things are sustained by God, why does God sustain even the evil that is done in this world? That's the question that we've been asking. And since all things are done with a purpose, what is his purpose? And to that end, I want you to go to Colossians 1 verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. You remember that in the past, in order to explain the doctrine of providence, we quoted the next verse, which was Colossians 1.17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Yes, he does sustain all things, holding all things together, but it is in verse 16, that is the previous verse, that the Apostle Paul tells us why he does so. And Paul tells us by presenting us with three propositions. First, all things were created by him. Then second, all things were created through him. And then third, all things were created for him. Paul says something very similar to that in Romans 11, 34 to 36. There, reflecting on the wisdom of God, Paul says, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So we need some time in considering the providence of God to consider the wisdom of God. And when we come back, we'll take a look at Romans 11, 34 to 36 and consider the purpose for all God's providential acts. Our society is filled with hustle and noise. Everyone is in a rush to go and do. We always are striving to be productive, and too often we carry this flustered spirit into our faith. But what if God was looking for our presence and not just our productivity? God wants us to know Him intimately. This requires time, time to be still and silent with Him. So, in response, back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld have created a new 30-day devotional entitled Quiet Spaces, Volume 2. This is the next installment of the original Quiet Spaces devotional. This is your opportunity to take a moment in the Word, a quiet space for God in your day. So we want to send you this resource, Quiet Spaces, Volume 2, for free this month by just calling us at 1-800-663-2425 or visiting Back to the Bible. When Paul discusses the wisdom of God, he begins by affirming that all things are from God, come through God, and ultimately are to God, that is, to the praise of His glory. 
So whatever Paul means, he must mean that the ultimate cause or the ultimate origin of everything that exists or the reason for all things exist in God. Please notice that Paul does not make a distinction between, you know, the big things versus the small and the insignificant things. Rather, he makes it plain. He says, all things. We've already seen this matter when we looked at verses like, well, Proverbs 16, verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. But here we have to be careful. Some of you might be thinking of a verse like 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. And there we read, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, watch this, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. So at the outset, we're faced with a bit of a conundrum. See, in one sense, everything is from the Lord, and in another sense, it's not. Well, how so? Well, let me explain. I want you to imagine someone, in, in this case, a young man, let's say 21 years old, tackling an elderly woman in the street and in the process breaks one of her ribs. Now, is that from God? You'd have to say, well, no, it's not. It's a, it's a sinful act. Well, it may well be. Let's assume our young man is a thief. He has seen the woman paying for something in a store and he notices her purse and it's filled with money. So in the street, he tackles her, he grabs her purse, and then he's gone. Clearly, that's an evil act. But now consider a very different explanation for what happened that day in the street. Let's assume our elderly woman is wandering across the street and a car is careening out of control and it comes straight at her. The young man tackles her and as he does, the car just whistles by, missing her by a hair breath. You feel differently about this young man now. You see, intent is everything. When Joseph told his brothers, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good, he was saying a mouthful. And when we say that God sustains the person who does evil, we're left with saying that the evil that is done is not from God, but we also say that God intends that the evil be allowed to exist as an expression of the wisdom of God. When we say that all things are from God, we mean to say that all things exist because he sustains all things, even the rebellion that is carried out against him. See, I mean to show that when we say that all things are from God, we're not saying that sin comes from God. But we are saying that sin remains because God has willed that it should do so at each moment in time. And that's all a matter of intent. The sinner intends to do evil. God intends to do good. But we also notice from Romans 11 that since all things are from God, well, then Paul hastens to add in verse 35 that no one can give to God so that he has to repay us. See, when we do good, the good that we do is sustained by God. All things come from God. That means that God takes credit for all the good that occurs. There are no random acts of kindness. There are only acts of kindness that God sustains. Now then, Paul makes a third point. Since all things come from God, we know that God is in no one's debt. And then thirdly, no one can give counsel to God. Paul says, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? That is, what advice will you give God regarding the way in which he sustains all things? See, I do know that the question of why is often on our lips. 
God, how or why would you have allowed such a thing to happen? And when we ask that, are we not really questioning the wisdom of God? Are we not then giving counsel to God? So here's wisdom. Don't counsel God. Don't give him advice. And certainly don't threaten him. I mean, isn't it enough that he promised you Romans 8, 28? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We know that the intent here is the long-term good. And that might mean that there can be, and often is, a conflict between that which is in my short-term interest and that which is in my long-term interest. Let me suggest a very easy example. It's in my long-term interest that I set aside some money every month and every year so that when I retire, I'm going to have enough to care for my needs when I'm no longer able to work. But that long-term good runs directly contrary to my short-term good. You know, it's in my short-term interest to use all of my money today. And so I'll have to decide which good will I pursue, my short-term or my long-term good. Well, God also knows that there are numerous times when my short-term good and my long-term good are at odds with each other. I mean, one example of that principle is found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. You know, Peter's been talking about the greatness of our final reward in heaven, which he says is going to be revealed in the last time. And then in verse 6, Peter writes, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And by the way, you know, this understanding that we must prefer the long-term good over the immediate good, that's at the heart of all Christian thinking. You know, it's for this reason that it really isn't a Christian title at all when we read a book entitled Your Best Life Now. See, everyone who understands the cross knows that Jesus, as Hebrews 12, verse 2, who for the joy that was set before him, that is, the long-term joy, endured the cross, despising the shame. That is to say, Jesus despised the motivation of forsaking shame in the present. He was motivated to forsake long-term shame, that is, eternal shame. And since he had to decide between immediate shame and long-term eternal shame, he decided to heap scorn on immediate shame. And so since God knows what is in our long-term interests, rather than in our short-term interests, it's important for us, says Paul, not to assume that we are God's counselor. Since God prefers our best life in the world to come, let's not attempt to tell God how to arrange his providential designs today. Okay, what have we said? Well, according to Romans 11, all things are through God, and therefore, God is not indebted to anyone. And we can't be God's counselor. So what then? Well, look again at the last part of Romans 11:33. How unsearchable are his judgments, and how unscrutable are his ways. See, I know, says Paul, that many times we're overwhelmed by God's ways. Why would God act this way? You know, when I don't understand how it is that in his kind providence, God would allow me to experience pain and suffering or some form of injustice. Well, when that happens, I like to remind myself of Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. It simply says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. 
See, that's to say that God in his infinite wisdom has chosen not to reveal all of his purposes to me. He has revealed that all things do work together for the good of those who love him, but he has not revealed in each difficulty that I face how it is that it works that way. See, I am left with the truth of providence, that he sustains all things, that only that which he sustains can exist. And if I am undergoing suffering, I know that he has sustained this present hour. Therefore, this moment of suffering exists. I never say God had nothing to do with it, for I know that's not true. I also know that God is concerned with maximizing my best life in the world to come. I don't know how the difficulties of the present hour will do that. And therefore, I know that this is one of the secret things that belong to the Lord. I will content myself with that. I will believe that his wisdom is eternal and mine is finite and I will trust him. Now, one more item from Romans 11. According to verse 36, Paul says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And in the end, God's ordering of all things will make God look overwhelmingly glorious. In the end, all of God's ways will be vindicated, and those of us who have come to love him will gasp in pleasure and in wonder how it is that God has done all things well. We will relish the pleasure of viewing the greatness of God. And so the providence of God gives us the assurance that when there is evil, when men deny God, when things don't make sense, in the end, God sustains all things for his glory and for our long-term good. John, if we can go back just a little bit and talk about intent again, or perhaps the same idea is what is the motives of that young man as he tackled that woman, whether his motives are good or evil, I guess that makes the difference. It sure does. Um, you know, if, if difficult times befall us uh, tomorrow, Ben, you know, if, if, if everything that we've known and love is taken away from us tomorrow, we can say that was an evil thing, and it surely is an evil thing. But if we know and can grasp a hold of and believe in faith that God has long-term good in mind through that, even though we don't know how it would be, we just believe that God has something greater in mind, I mean, we can hang on to that and live with that. So I, I, I think that short of believing that, we will fall into despair. Um, ben, you and I know that you know, there, are, there are difficult times in our past, there are difficult times that are coming in our future, but God's intent towards us will always be good. He wants what is good. He loves us. He will never let go of our hand. Uh, if you're going through difficult times, you hang on to that. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us here again tomorrow on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Do you have any young children in your life, perhaps of your own or a grandchild? If so, be sure to check out Back to the Bible Kids, our mobile Bible teaching games for children. Choose from these games, Bible ABCs, Bible coloring, or Noah's elephant in the room. Every game helps kids learn more about the characters of the Bible, learn scripture and biblical truths, enjoy educational activities, all in a safe and fun environment. Trace color and chase Noah around the ark, all while being introduced to Bible stories and characters. It's so important that the children of God are given the opportunity to become familiar with the Bible from a young age. 
and we hope that the Back to the Bible Kids mobile games do just that. To download any of our Back to the Bible Kids games for free, visit backtothebible.ca slash kids.